Volume One, Chapter Ten of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kamna. A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald, Volume One, Chapter Ten. Mr. Sandford, finding his friend Doriforth frequently perplexed in the management of his ward, and he himself thinking her incorrigible, gave his counsel that a suitable match should be immediately sought out for her, and the care of so dangerous a person given into other hands. Doriforth acknowledged the propriety of this advice, but lamented the difficulty of pleasing his ward as to the quality of her lover. For she had refused, besides Sir Edward Ashton, many others of equal pretensions. Depend upon it, then," cried Sandford, "that our affections are engaged, and it is proper that you should know to whom." Dorriforth thought he did know, and mentioned Lord Frederick, but said that he had no farther authority for the supposition than what his observation had given him, for that every explanation, both upon his and her side, had been evaded. "Take her then," cried Sandford, "into the country." And if Lord Frederick should not follow, there is an end of your suspicions. I shall not easily prevail upon Miss Milner to leave town," replied he, "while it is in the highest fashion. You can but try," returned Sandford. "And if you should not succeed now, at least fix the time you mean to go during the autumn, and be firm to your determination." But in the autumn," replied Dorriforth, "Lord Frederick will, of course, be in the country." And as his uncle's estate is near our residence, he will not then so evidently follow her as he would if I induce her to go now. It was agreed that attempt should be made. Instead of receiving this abrupt proposal with uneasiness, Miss Milner, to the surprise of all present, immediately consented, and gave her guardian an opportunity of saying several of the kindest and politest things upon her ready compliance. A token of approbation from you, Mr. Dorriforth," returned she. I always considered with high estimation, but your commendations are now become infinitely superior in value by their scarcity, for I do not believe that since Miss Fenton and Mr. Sandford came to town, I have received one testimony of your esteem. Had these words been uttered with pleasantry, they might have passed without observation, but at the conclusion of the period, resentment flew to Miss Milner's face. And she darted a piercing look at Mr. Sandford, which more pointedly expressed that she was angry with him than if she had spoken volumes in her usual strain of drearily. Dorriforth was confused, but the concern which she had so plainly evinced for his good opinion throughout all that she had been saying silenced any rebuke he might else have given her for this unwarrantable charge against his friend. Mrs. Horton was shocked at the irreverent manner in which Mr. Sandford was treated, and Miss Woodley turned to him with a benevolent smile upon her face, hoping to set him an example of the manner in which he should receive the reproach. Her good wishes did not succeed; yet he was perfectly unruffled and replied with coolness, "The air of the country has affected the lady already, but it is a comfortable thing." Continued he. That in the variety of humours to which some women are exposed, they cannot be uniform even in deceit. Deceit! cried Miss Milner. In what am I deceitful? Did I ever pretend that I had esteem for you? 
That would have not been deceit, madame, but merely good manners. I never, Mr. Sanford, sacrificed truth to politeness. Except when the country has been proposed, and you thought it politeness to appear satisfied. And I was satisfied till I recollected that you might probably be of the party, then. Every grove was changed into a wilderness, every rivulet into a stagnated pool, and every singing bird into a croaking raven. A very poetical description, returned he calmly. But, Miss Milner, you need not have any apprehensions of my company in your country, for I understand the seat to which your guardian means to go, belongs to you, and you may depend on it, madame, that I shall never enter a house in which you are the mistress. Nor any house, I am certain, Mr. Sanford, but in which you are yourself the master. What do you mean, madame? And for the first time he elevated his voice. Am I the master here? Your servants, replied she, looking at the company, will not tell you so, but I do. You condescend, Mr. Sanford, cried Mrs. Horton, in taking so much to a young heedless woman, but I know you do it for her good. Well, Miss Milner, cried Dorriforth, and the most cutting thing he could say, since I find my proposal of the country has put you out of humour, I shall mention it no more. With all the quantity of resentment, anger, or rage, which sometimes boiled in the veins of Miss Milner, she was yet never wanting in all that in that respect towards her guardian, which withheld her from her ever uttering one angry sentence, directed immediately to him, and the severe word of his, instead of exasperating, was sure to subdue her. This was the case at present. His words wounded her to the heart but she had not the asperity to reply to them as she thought they had merited, and she burst into tears. Dorriforth, instead of being concerned, as he usually was at seeing her uneasy, appeared on the present occasion provoked. He thought her weeping was a new reproach to his friend Mr. Sanford, and that to suffer himself to be moved by it would be a tacit condemnation of his friend's conduct. She understood his thoughts, and, getting the better of her tears, apologized for her weakness, adding, she could never bear with indifference an unjust accusation. To prove that mine was unjust, madame, replied Dorriforth, be prepared to quit London without any marks of regret in a few days. She bowed assent, the necessary preparations were agreed upon, and while with apparent satisfaction she adjusted the plan of her journey, like those who behave well, not so much to please themselves to vex their enemies, she secretly triumphed in the mortification she hoped that Mr. Stanford would receive from her obedient behaviour. The news of this intended journey was of course soon made public. There is a secret charm in being pitied, when the misfortune is but ideal, and Miss Milner found infinite gratification in being told that hers was a cruel case, and that it was unjust and barbarous to force so much beauty into concealment, while London was filled with her admirers, who, like her, would languish in consequence of her solitude. These things, and a thousand such, a thousand times replaced, she still listened to with pleasure, yet preserved constancy not to shrink from her resolution of submitting. Those involuntary sighs, however, that Miss Woodley had long ago observed, became still frequent, and a tear half-starting in her eye was additional subject of her friend's observation. Yet, though Miss Milner at those times was softened into melancholy, she by no means appeared unhappy. Her, friends was, her friend was acquainted with love only by name, 
yet she was confirmed from these increased symptoms in what she only before success suspected that love must be the foundation of her care her senses have been captivated by the person and the accomplishments of lord frederick said miss woodley to herself but her understanding compels her to see his faults and reproaches her reproaches her passion and oh cried she could her guardian and mr sanford know of this conflict how much would they have to admire how little to condemn with such friendly thoughts and with the purest intentions miss woodley did not fail to give both gentlemen reason to believe her contention of this nature was the actual state of miss milner's mind Dorriforth was affected at the description, and Sanford urged more than ever the necessity of leaving town. In a few days they departed, Mr. Horton, Mrs. Woodley, Miss Milner, and Mr. Dorriforth, accompanied by Mrs. Fenton, whom Miss Milner, knowing it to be the wish of her guardian, invited, for three months before her marriage, to her country seat. Elmwood House, or rather Castle, the seat of Lord Elmwood, was only a few miles distant from his residence, and was expected to pass great part of the summer there, with his tutor, Mr. Sanford. In the neighbourhood was also, as it has already been said, an estate belonging to an uncle of Lord Frederick's, and most of the party suspected they should soon see him on a visit there. To that expectation they in great measure attributed Miss Will Milner's visible content. End of chapter 10, volume 1, recording by Kamna.